good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Hallelujah. Well, you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and pray as you come to it. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your great love. Lord, I pray this morning as uh, we go through the message, Lord, that um, we would all be challenged, but also, Lord, that we would, we would respond to that challenge in a biblical and a godly way. Lord, I pray that we're going to grow today that we're going to uh, move forward in our faith and our maturity, and I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we got a good one today. You guys are going to love it. Actually, you might just leave mad at me. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But we're going to talk about personal responsibility. You know, one of the things that I think is, uh, I guess one of the prevailing ideas that we have going on in our culture, and our society, um, is actually, I believe, setting people up for failure. And there's, there's actually a couple of them. They're, 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 they're kind of related together. But the first one is that nothing is my fault. Everything is somebody else's fault. And that's what we're being taught. That's the prevailing, uh, one of the prevailing ideas in, in our culture today. And the thing is, is that we, we blame everybody else for what's going on in our lives. People will blame something, somebody else for everything, and they don't want to take any responsibility for any of their own actions. Everything that happens to them is somebody else's fault, right? So we have people, they blame their boss or their training for their poor performance at work. Kids blame their parents for the things that they do. We all blame our friends, right? Peer pressure. We're all fat because of McDonald's, right? It's McDonald's fault. Or we have lung cancer because of the cigarette manufacturers. It's their fault. What about one of my favorites? We got to get rid of guns because guns kill people. It's the gun's fault. You see, the thing is, in all of these statements you hear, it's, it's, it's people blaming something else for decisions they make, right? You're not fat because of McDonald's. You're fat because you eat at McDonald's. The cigarette manufacturers do not give you lung cancer because you could have chose not to, to smoke. And I know that's difficult. The hardest thing I ever did was quit smoking. And I get that. But it was still a decision that I made every single day. And the thing is, is that guns don't shoot people. People use guns to shoot people. It's, there's personal responsibility each and every single one of those actions. And the, the reality is, is that we're taught today that, no, everything can be somebody else's fault. And we see it even to the upper levels of our government. How are they trying to fix, how are we trying to fix the gun problem in this country, the, the school shootings? By taking away guns, when really we should be dealing with the people and dealing with what we're teaching people. The second idea that I see going through society right now that I think is, is setting people up for, for failure is this idea of entitlement. People believe that we're owed something for just existing. One of the most frustrating arguments that I hear all the time is this idea of, of uh, minimum wage isn't enough to live on. And I'm like, you're right. It's not supposed to be. That's what you get when you're in, you're, you're in high school. You're supposed to move past that. You're supposed to increase. You're supposed to improve. But people believe that they're entitled for just existing. People believe they're entitled to support from the government. The only thing the government's designed to do is to protect us. It's about safety. That's the, their, their main purpose in life is to protect the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. That's their purpose, not to make sure that you have everything that, that you think you need. And it's not just in those areas. We see it in every, even in sports today. We tell kids that, no, they deserve a medal 
for just showing up. But we're doing people a disservice when we teach them stuff like that, when we teach them that you're owed stuff, that you don't have to work for anything. We're actually doing them a disservice and setting them up for failure. And as a, as a, as a people, we've lost our sense of personal responsibility. Did you know that in most people's lives, the devil doesn't even have to get involved? We do a good enough job messing up our own lives on our own. The devil doesn't have to do anything. But it's always funny. We're quick to blame the devil. The devil ain't been present in your life in a long time because you mess it up with your own stupidity, but we still blame him. Or we tend to blame God for things not going right. God, why won't you heal me of this lung cancer while you're still smoking two packs a day? It'd be like me complaining to God, why am I not losing weight when I, when I keep eating too many calories every single day? Or God, why did you let my house get flooded even though I knew I moved into an area that has a flood every single year? It's like the old joke. Uh, you know, sometimes we have to, to meet God at certain areas in our life that we have to step up and do things. And we can't blame God for everything. We have to take, like, if, 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 if you're having problems with your lungs, quit smoking and quit asking God why I won't heal you while you're doing it. You have to meet God halfway in a lot of these things. You have to take personal responsibility. That joke that I was talking about, it's like the guy who prays every single day to win the lottery. And it's been going on for months. Every night, God, please let me win the lottery. And every day, he still hasn't won the lottery. And finally, after months of this going on, God speaks to the man and says, all right, all right, but you got to meet me halfway. You have to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> the same is true for all of us. At some point, we got to take some personal actions and personal responsibility, amen? So this message that we're talking about today, um, this is going to be the first part of it. Today, I want to talk about the theology, the biblical theology about personal responsibility, and next week, we're going to talk about the application of personal responsibility in our lives. So let's start looking at what the Bible says about personal responsibility. In Ezekiel 18, 19 through 20, it says, Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the inequity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the inequity of the father, nor the father suffer for the inequity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So the first thing I want to look at today is this idea that everything that goes on in my life is somebody else's fault. Now, Ezekiel, Ezekiel's speaking to the people of Israel, and he's arguing for personal responsibility for their actions. And he's having to do so for a couple of reasons. One, there is this idea of, of national judgment uh, and national treating Israel as a nation. So they get, they get blessing and they get judgment as a nation, often in the Old Testament. So yes, as a nation, if they're doing wrong, it, it even gets that judgment can get visited on, on people that may be not participating in those things in the nation. So that's the one thing he's dealing with here. Um, but the other reason is that I think that there's some misinterpretation of some scriptures um, uh, previously that was, was messing people up. In Exodus 25, it says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children for the third and fourth generation. And then Numbers 14, 18, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving inequity and transgression, transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third 
and the fourth generation. So the, the Israelites have heard this, and they're thinking, man, I'm, I'm going to get punished for what other people do. But the whole point of these scriptures was, was not saying that if I do something, my son's going to get punished. But the reality is, is that if my son continues on in my sin, then he'll bear the inequity of those sins as well. And you have to remember, I mean, you can just read the book of Kings, and it's like everyone, it's like, and so-and-so's son did even worse in the sight of God's eyes than his father. And then the name one, they just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So that inequity was passed on from generation to generation because the, the kids were seeing what their parents were doing and were doing them as well, but they were still personally responsible for what they were doing. And that's why as parents, we have to be so careful about what we do in front of our children because they'll pick it up. They're going to pick up the same things. We wonder why they're, they're experiencing the same mistakes uh, that we went through in our life. It's because that's what we're demonstrating to them. And you might have heard it called as a, a generational curse, all these things happening. I don't know if it's a generational curse or not. I think it's just that we, 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 we do what we saw our parents do. And then our kids do what they saw us do. And it turns out their lives look exactly like ours. And at some point, we have to stop that. We have to choose to live differently. But if you look at the Old Testament, even Moses taught that Punishment for sin was for your own sin. Deuteronomy 24, 16, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Jeremiah was also teaching the same thing. Jeremiah 31, 29 through 30, In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own inequity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. That's a weird expression, huh? <laughs> Basically, what they're saying is you're responsible for your own actions. You get to incur the judgment of your own sin. And nothing has changed for us today. We're still responsible for our own actions. And the consequences that we face in our lives are consequences of our own actions. The idea that somebody else is responsible for what is going on in your life is unfounded, and it's completely unbiblical. We have to take responsibility for the things that we do in our life. Now, I'm not naive. I understand that in certain areas, some people have certain advantages that others don't. What family you're born into, certainly the people, anybody in the United States, no matter what family they're born in the United States, are doing better than the people that were born into Ukraine right now. There are certain advantages you have, but it doesn't mean that you have to stop there. You know, one of the things that's amazing right now is, is uh, Ukraine, is, is they're standing up for themselves. They're doing a great job right now uh, uh, dealing with, with Russia invading on them. Now, they could say, you know what? Why didn't America help us? Why didn't Britain help us? Why isn't anybody helping us? But instead, they're, 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 they're taking personal responsibility for what's going on in their country, and they're standing up, and they're actually making an impact. They're making a difference. I read an article about uh, a retired general yesterday read that, that Putin's actually already lost this war because of how the response is happening from them. Now, obviously, that was his opinion. <laughs> I can't say today the war is over, but that's what he's saying. The way things are looking, because of how Ukraine, they're standing up, taking personal responsibility. They're not complaining about what's happening to them. They're just taking care of it, and that they're making an impact. So you're right. There are people that are born and, and better, uh, with better advantages. But we all have the choice to do what we want to do with our life. And we can sit there and complain, or we can make a difference. We can take personal responsibility for our actions, 
instead of blaming it on somebody else. Amen? And then in Romans 14, 10 through 12, it says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So what's happening here is the folks in the the Roman church, they're passing judgment on each other because of what they were eating and what holidays they were celebrating. That's the deal. They're all, they're all pointing fingers and they're, they're, they're saying that you're, you know, you're, you're messing up because you're doing this. And the funny thing is, is they're not even dealing with sin. They're just dealing with which traditions people want to follow and get involved in. It's, it's not even that big of a deal, but they're making a big deal out of nothing. And Paul's thinking, you know, guys, this is kind of nonsense. Because what he's asking is, why are you passing... Sorry, I should have went to the next verse. Why do you pass judgment on your brother... Why do you despise your brother for these things when they're going to stand before the judgment seat of God? Basically, it's not your responsibility to judge them. It's theirs. The the consequences of their action, what they're going to receive when they stand before God, it's because of what they did. It's not because of what you did. Why are you making such a big deal over these things, particularly these things, which are just matters of tradition and were essentially nonsense to Paul? It's not like uh, somebody was having an affair with with his father's wife like was going on in the Corinthian church that Paul has to deal with. This is, you know, what meat are you eating or, or what, uh, what holidays are you celebrating? So Paul's saying, what is it to you? It's not, what they do is not your responsibility. And I want you guys to hear that. What they do is not your responsibility. What somebody else does is not your responsibility. They're going to stand and give an account for that. So the, the, the reverse is true. What you do is not somebody else's responsibility. It's your own. You're going to have to give an account for your actions. He says, look, they're going to stand before the judgment seat, and every one of them will give an account for themselves for God, before God. Now, one, I want to point out a couple things here. We're not even talking about sin at this point. And and the reality is is that uh, the judgment, when each and every one of us stands before God to give an account, I want you to know, uh, hopefully to encourage your heart, that if you're born again, you're not giving an account for sin. That's not what he's talking about. You're You're not being weighed to see if you're going to make it into heaven or not. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. And he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It says, He who believes is not judged. The reality is, is that if you've been born again, your judgment has already fallen upon Jesus for sin. So we're not talking about sin here. But that doesn't change the fact that we're all going to give an account when we stand before God. So what is it that we're going to give an account for? And I believe it's going to be in regards to what you did with God gave you. Were you generous with your earthly wealth? Were you there for your brother? Was your life a witness to God's love? You're going to give an account for every word you spoke. That's probably the thing that I'm least looking forward to. But the Bible says that we're going to give an account for every single word that we spoke. Did you reach anybody for the gospel? Or did you hold on to your treasure in this earthen vessel and not share it with anybody else? 
The thing is, is that one day we're going to stand before God, and the question is, what is God going to say? It's like the parable that, that Jesus told, Matthew 25, 21. It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, Dr. Leon, when he shares this message, one of the funniest things he says is when you stand before God, is he going to say, well done? Or is he going to say, well, done? So this account, it's not in regard, regards to judgment. And, and when you stand before God for this, this isn't going to result in you going to hell. But the reality is, is that we are going to have to give an account for what we've done. We're going to have to bear personal responsibility in our own lives, and we can't blame it on somebody else. The pastor didn't prepare me well enough isn't going to be a good excuse. Now, I'll have to give an account for why I didn't prepare you well enough, but that's still not an excuse for you long term. I believe this accounting is going to actually be for your reward. Just like when it talks about the 24 elders in the book of Revelation, Revelation 4, 9 through 11 says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and give thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things by your will they existed and you were created. I believe that we're going to see reward, but then we're going to throw it at the, the feet of Jesus. But the fact is, when we stand before Jesus, when we stand before God for this accounting, we're not going to be able to make excuses. We're not going to be able to say, nobody told me. We're not going to be able to say, so-and-so did this. You know those uh, excuses your kids give you? Why don't you do this? Well, my brother, look what he did. He didn't do it. I wasn't talking about your brother. Or what about this one? I thought somebody else would do it. One of the things I pray is that, that nobody else ever has to do what God intended me to do. Amen. The good news is, is that I guess it's not good news, it's the reality of the situation as this has been going on since day one, this passing the buck. Genesis 3, 9 through 13 says this, but the Lord God called and said to the man and said to him, called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So just so you know, this generation is not the first generation that's tried to pass the buck, tried to blame somebody else for what they were going to. The truth is, the moment Adam sinned, we've been on a downward spiral ever, ever since, and the only solution is Jesus. I want to tell you right now, the solution to everything that's going on in this world is Jesus. The solution to Ukraine, Jesus. The solution to our government being crazy is Jesus. You know, one of the things that I think is, is, is silly, and, and don't take me wrong, as Christians, we need to vote our conscience. We need to vote with biblical standards. But the reality is, is that um, being concerned with which, what law is getting passed and which law is not getting passed should be of less concern to us because the reality is, is even if abortion becomes illegal in this entire country, that's not going to save anybody. 
You know what? We can make every law in this country line up perfectly with God's will. And even if they're forced to do it under, under threat of law or imprisonment, that's not going to save anybody. The truth is, is that salvation is what we're looking for. And the reality is, is if you want to see our laws get changed, let's get more people saved. The more people are saved, the more people that are going to vote like Christians according to Christian ideals. The more people in office, which will have be Christians and have Christian ideals, the more people in office and the more the culture is saved and the more that we're all trying to align our, 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 our will with God, you're going to see those things naturally come. So don't pray for Christian laws. Pray for Christian people, amen? Let's see people get saved and you'll get the other. But this generation is not the first one that's tried to pass the buck. And I think the funny thing is, 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 is when, when, when God asks Adam what's going on, he just like, he fires two off. First, he, he blames the woman. He says, the woman. But you notice, he doesn't just blame the woman, he blames God. Because it's not just the woman, it's the woman that God gave him. So Adam starts off with like, man, what are you, what are you looking at me, God? Like it was, it was her, and you're the one that gave her to me. So why are you blaming me? It's your fault. All at once, blame God, blames God, or Adam blames the woman and God. He blames Eve and God. But the reality is, is that he didn't have a gun to his head. I know this to be a fact because they didn't have guns back then. <laughs> he wasn't forced to do this. He made the conscious decision. And even if he did have a gun to his head, it would have still been his choice. You know, that's one of the, I didn't have a choice because this would have happened. No, you had a choice. The difference is this other thing would have happened. You know, if someone has a gun to your head and, and you know, and, and when we talk about this, you see in uh, uh, Muslim countries, a lot of times they'll take Christians and they literally have a machete, a knife to their head and tell them to recant their faith. And they have a choice at that moment. It may cost them their life if they don't listen, but they do have the choice. One of the most heartbroken things that I've ever seen is, uh, and it's actually the reason why I'm very careful now which uh, videos that I watch because it wasn't very pleasant, but there was a, 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 a Muslim that had converted into Christianity and they had a, 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 a terrorist, essentially, a Muslim terrorist had a machete to his head and, and said, you need to recant or we're going to kill you. And he ended up doing it. He recanted his faith at that moment. And you know what happened? They killed him anyway. Not something that, that I would recommend searching out and, and, and looking at. It turns out that uh, it's not like in the movies where you get one clean stroke and the head comes off. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Even if he did have a gun to his head, he would have still had a choice. And the responsibility would have still laid on him for what he did. But then God asks Eve, he says, hey, why did you do this? And what does she say? The devil made me do it. He says, look, I was deceived. It was, it, was, it was their fault. It wasn't my fault. Why do I have to take responsibility for doing something that you expressly told us not to do? You know, the only thing you expressly told us not to do. We can do anything else, but we can't do this. Why is that my responsibility? I was deceived. It was the devil's fault. And, and Adam's like, what are you talking about? She made me do it. Plus, you gave me her, so it's essentially your fault. Why do I have to take responsibility for these things? But church, I want you to know you can't live your lives holding the other people and the devil responsible for the things that you do and the decisions that you make in your life. Amen? At some point, you have to realize that what's happening in your life 
is a result of decisions that you've made. Genesis 3, 14 through 15, as we go on here, it says, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. After this whole situation goes down, they're standing before God, and they all have to accept the consequences of their own actions. First, we see the devil's response or consequences here. And snakes kind of get a bad rap in this one. My father-in-law says this. He said, snakes are only good for killing. And I, I disagree. I'm, I'm kind of fond of snakes. I think they're pretty cool. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a herpetologist for a good portion of my, my high school years. But now, because of what happened, there's this constant enmity between us and the devil. And as a result, Jesus has to come back to resolve this. I mean, this is the reason, this is where it started. The reason that Jesus had to give his life was to deal with this mess. Now, I thank God that he did, because otherwise we're all in a mess. There is no way out for us if he doesn't. And we know what happens, right? His, it says his heel, uh, the, the heel that's bruised is, is Jesus' heel was bruised on the cross. Seems like kind of a minor way to describe what happened on the cross, but in the in the gist of things, it was just a minor bruise because Jesus rose again victorious. Amen. And it says, But he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. The reality is, is that, that Jesus had his, his heel bruised, but the devil's head was crushed. Because Jesus was completely victorious. And then we have to see what is the uh uh, the consequence for the actions of Adam and Eve. In verses 16 through 19, it says to the woman, he said, I shall surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Both Adam and Eve had to face the consequences of their action. You know, when you want to explain this story, the, the reality is, is, here's the breakdown. Because of what happened, women have to bear or bear painful childbirth. And then also there's menstruation and that, all that that goes along with it. And, and for the men, we have to be around during all that. <laughs> the reality is, though, there were some serious consequences. And the, and, and the truth is, is that, that painful childbirth was a result of the fall. You see, the excuse of the devil made me do it didn't fly. It didn't fly for them, and it's not going to fly for us when we have to give an accounting either. either. But they, they have to, to deal with painful childbirth. And so I imagine, and I don't know exactly how it would have worked, but there was no pain in childbirth before this. And we know that there would have been childbirth because before the fall, what did God tell them? Be fruitful and multiply. I don't know if that would have happened differently then, but certainly childbirth wasn't going to hurt. But now it does. And then, even worse, it says that you're going to have 
you're going to desire differently than your husband. I feel bad for some women because I know how some guys think and act. And they're, they're going to be at odds with their wives. And the truth is, I think this is why Jesus is so important in a marriage. If you're not restored in Jesus Christ, then this is the stuff that you're dealing with. Two people that have independent thoughts, independent desires, are going to be at odds with one another. But when you get born again, it's not about you being on her being on your page or you being on her page. It's about both of you being on Jesus' page. Amen? And that's what makes... Marriage is strong, I believe, and you both can keep focused on the Lord. I know that's what saved my marriage personally. Because my wife and I almost didn't make it. But then we both decided to serve the Lord, and all that stuff came in into to order afterwards. And Adam didn't get off scot-free either. First, notice God's words. I think this is important. He says... Because who listened? You listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree. He didn't get to blame it on, on Eve. He had to face that responsibility himself. And you'll notice that this, this curse and death and all that stuff that in, was in, entered into, into existence was actually because of what Adam did, not because of what Eve did. It was when he ate that the problem, that it became a problem. But it says, because you listened, because you have eaten. It didn't matter that his wife told him to do it. He had to take responsibility of it. You know, that's one of the things in a marriage we talk about um, wives submitting to your husbands and husbands loving your wife like Christ loved the church. You know, the reality is, is that if a husband's doing his job, he's going to, to be held to account for the decisions that he makes. And hopefully, a wife has a husband that she can joyfully submit to knowing that he has her best interests at heart and the family's best interests at heart. See, that's, that's the thing, is that uh, husbands, you actually have much more responsibility and accountability in the situation. How your family is led, is not, your wife's not going to have to give an account for that. You are. Because you're the one that's supposed to be the head of the household leading your family. And I pray that you're a husband that actually loves his wife like Christ loved the church, which is to the, to, to, to the point of being willing to die for her, and that your husband, that your wife can joyfully submit to. But in this point, it didn't matter that his wife had told him so. It's because he had eaten, because he had, had listened, he had made the decision, and because of that, at this point, death was released upon the world. The animals, the plants, humans... The planet at this point, we're all cursed to live and die from this point on. And until Jesus comes back and puts the last enemy under his foot as a footstool, which is death, death is still reigning in this world. And then it says that we're going to have to toil and labor to survive. All you guys that don't like working hard, this was our problem. Because apparently now we have to toil and labor. And from this point on, we were broken. And the whole reason I wanted to share this Genesis story with you is because this, this idea of entitlement and not taking responsibility has been there from the beginning, since the fall. And the truth is, is that from the beginning, even though they tried to blame somebody else, they were forced to take responsibility of their own actions. Amen.
We have to take responsibility for our own actions. And now I want to talk a little bit about the entitlement aspect that we talked about. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5-8, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. What we're dealing with here, when we talk about entitlement, we got some spiritual entitlement that was going on. Paul is dealing with an attitude in the Corinthian church uh, that they were saying that depending on who you were associated with, who you followed, um, that somehow elevated your status in the church. That somehow made you a better person. If you were, if you were baptized by Apollos or you followed Apollos, and then you were better than Paul's group of people. Or if you followed Paul, you were better than Apollos' group of people. And there was this idea that you were entitled something depending on who you learned from. And they were playing favorites. And Paul basically says, you know what? This is nonsense, guys. We don't receive anything because of who we're friends with. But it's rather the result of what we do. If somebody was trained under Paul, it didn't guarantee special privilege or treatment. You weren't entitled to anything just because Paul was the one that preached the gospel to you that you got saved under. So he uses an example that we can all understand both back when it was written and something that, that we can understand today, this idea of the wage. When we work, we get paid. When we don't work, we don't get paid. That's how wages work, not rocket science. That's actually what I love about the Bible. The Bible is written so any of us can understand it. Any of us can get something from it. So the reality is, is that even if you're friends with the boss, you still got to work to get paid. I don't know any boss on the planet is just going to give you money for the heck of it. You have to work to get paid. And in our ministry, our reward, our wage is not a result of who we're friends with or who we trained with or who we know. It's the result of whether we did what God wanted us to with what he gave us. And that's what he says here. It doesn't matter about Paulos. It doesn't matter about Paul. He says, look, each will receive wages according to his labor. Each and every one of us. You know, when we think about this, there's a couple other times in the Scripture where he talks about it. you remember when Paul said uh, there were some people, and I think it was in the Corinthian church as well, that were taking advantage of it, and Paul said if they don't eat, if they don't work, they don't eat. They weren't entitled to anything just because they were a Christian. They still had to work to get paid, to, 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 to eat. And another case that I can think of is, is uh, do you remember the widows? They're worried about if widows were getting taken care of. And he says, look, you know, only put a, a widow on the list as if she's above a certain age and she lived a godly life. Basically, she was doing the right thing because if, if she wasn't doing the right thing or if she was too young and she could just get married, then she needed to work or take care of it, marry somebody else. She needed to, to, to have a, a wage as well, if you will. This idea that we're just entitled to stuff is completely unbiblical. The truth is, is that we're told to work, to receive these things. And you're not working for your salvation, thank God. That was taken care of in Jesus Christ. But the truth is, is that the Bible says that we are made for good works. We're still supposed to work. We're still supposed to do stuff. Not for our salvation, but as the result of our salvation. Amen. And that was spiritual entitlement. What about physical 
entitlement. Proverbs 6, 6 6-11 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If you didn't know this, Proverbs is full of wisdom and application for your everyday life. Something worth reading on a regular basis. But the writer here says, you know what? You need to to look to the ant. The ant works diligently night and day. And she always has what she needs for any season. Because she's willing to work. She doesn't recognize, she, she doesn't think that she's entitled to something and that, that, that food is just going to fall out of the sky and show up in her mound. She actually goes out and works for it. And then he goes on to say, she even does it without being told. Right? Without any chief officer or ruler, she goes out and does the work. This is what the ant does. And you know what? We shouldn't have to be told to get a job and take care of ourselves, to go earn a living. That should just be natural, that we go and we intend to take care of ourselves we go to work. And if you don't have a job that pays enough, you know, we talked about earlier, this idea of, of minimum wage should be, to, should be able to support you. I don't believe it should. Minimum wage is there for young people to get two or three people together. They can share a house and expenses, pool their money together. But at some point, you need to improve yourself. If you don't make enough money, go back to school or, or find out from your boss what you need to do to get a raise or go look for a different job now that you have some experience. But the reality is, is that, that we all need to be out there working, taking care of ourselves. We should be doing those things. It's our responsibility, and the truth is it should, it should be an, almost an instinct in each and every one of us. It should be something that, that we don't have to do to be told. You know, this, this society is, has spent, it seems like the better part of 10 or 20 years, complaining about men being men and telling men that they shouldn't be men and demonizing men for being men, and now they're, they're wondering why that all they want to do is sit at home and play video games all day and not go out and work. But the truth is, is that they still need to take responsibility for what they're doing. We need to get up off of our butts and take care of ourselves. This isn't to say that sometimes we won't need help. And it's not to say that the church isn't here to help support one another. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love and support one another. But we're not supposed to take advantage of one another. Amen? And that's the reality. Is the Scripture says that if we choose to instead remain a sluggard, if we say there a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of rest, what comes poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If we choose to live this way, that's the reward that we're going to reap. Why is it that so many would expect somebody else to pay their way, to pay their expenses, when they're not willing to do so themselves? And then Paul goes on in Galatians 4-5, through he says, Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This is an interesting one, because you know what it says in verse 2, just a couple verses before this? Galatians 6-2 says, Bear one another's burdens, 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then Paul goes, you know what? Someone's going to take advantage of what I just said. They're going to not want to do anything and just no, you Paul said you're supposed to bear my burden. You're supposed to take care of me. So he, he quickly follows it up with, but let each one test his own work. Each person needs to be working. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So first he encourages us to bear one another's burdens because that's the godly thing to do. We want to take care of one another. But then he says, test your own work and make sure that you're not letting your neighbor do all the heavy lifting for you. You see, we're supposed to take care of one another, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything and just rely on other people. Basically, we need to get off our butts and help ourselves as well. Amen? And then we'll finish here today in Ezekiel 33, 2-5. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and then the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. You see here, the watchman was set up to do what watchmen do. Watch. And his responsibility, the watchman's responsibility, was to let the people know if danger was coming. And if he blew his horn and he gave warning, then the responsibility shifted to the people who heard the warning. The watchman wasn't required to save all the other people's lives. He was there to watch and give warning. That was his responsibility. After that, he wasn't to go down and physically save their lives because at the moment that he, he gave the warning, he blew the trumpet, the responsibility was on the people who heard it. They were responsible and they were required to take actions themselves. The truth is, church, is that we live with one another. I've always said we're a family. We should take care of one another. We should express our love towards one another. We should be there for one another when we need it. And when the time comes, and if it's needed, we will bear one another's burdens because that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. But the ultimate responsibility for what happens in our lives is our own. We make choices. We make decisions. We live in certain ways. And we bear the consequences of those decisions. And that's a good thing. Because that means that you have the power to do something about your life. You have the power to make a difference. Church, let's not be a people who think that we're owed something. Who thinks that we're entitled or thinks that everything that happens in our life is somebody else's fault. But instead, let's be a people who take responsibility for our own actions, for our own lives, being careful to do as he's commanded us. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.